good morning. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Good morning and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee that we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. Today, we're continuing our ongoing series called Voices of Segregation. In these episodes, we hope to explore life in Tennessee in the time of segregation, a period in American history when the law of the land called for the separation of the races. Under the landmark court case of Plessy v. Ferguson in 1896, segregation was deemed constitutional so long as separate but equal facilities were provided, a requirement that was rarely met in practice. Segregation ended with the passing of another landmark case, Brown v. Board of Education, in 1954. However, in practice, integration took much longer. In Murray County, schools were not integrated until 1969. Our guest today lives in Los Angeles, but his family is deeply rooted in Murray County, Tennessee. Lyman M. Johnson is a native of Louisville, Kentucky. After attending the University of Louisville and spending time in the military, he also attended the University of Kentucky, where he studied chemistry. He spent his career as a chemist for Honeywell Corporation before working as an environmental chemist with the Environmental Protection Agency. He now lives near Los Angeles. Mr. Johnson's father, Lyman T. Johnson, was a leader in the American Civil Rights Movement, the first black man to be admitted to the University of Kentucky after having to sue for his right to attend He eventually was bestowed three honorary doctorates. A building on the campus bears his name. Our guest's grandfather, Robert G. Johnson, was a leader in education of black students and served as a teacher and principal here in Columbia, Tennessee. And our guest's great-grandfather was born enslaved here in Murray County and was able to purchase his freedom and that of his wife before becoming himself educated. It's a truly inspiring American story. Mr. Johnson, thank you for being with us on History's Hook. Well, thank you. Joining me in the studio today is my co-host, Murray County historian Joanne McClellan. Good morning to you, Joanne. Good morning, Tom. Good morning again, Lyman. Good morning. First off, Mr. Johnson, when studying your family's history, there is a theme that readily presents itself, and that theme is the power of education. Why is education so important to your family, and where did that yearning and that appreciation for learning and for teaching come from? Well, it's been around in the family for for quite a while. That uh, uh, so, as far as I'm concerned, it's just uh, uh, tradition that uh, comes comes about without a whole lot of uh, pushing. We just sort of understand it. But uh, uh, and then, uh, as in my own case, I just learned to see, in addition to to that legacy. Uh, the value of, uh, the op- of the opportunities that open up with, that come with uh, education, and I could see it. I could see it in in my own family going going back. My great grandfather's brother-in-law, uh, Reverend Edmund Kelly, who was the, the brother of my great grandmother, 
Elizabeth Kelly Johnson, also known as Betty, was was able to learn, and, and he, uh, even though enslaved, he uh, was. Uh, that, it, this is an inspiration story, basically. But he was he was able to learn, and he would uh, from from the the young people his own age, the, the, the white kids of the family that uh, enslaved him, and he would he was. It was, it was, again, an inspiring story. He got them to help him learn to read and write. Uh, and then, and he was very bright. So uh, when he became a, a minister, he was allowed to uh, actually be move, move loud. He was, a, he was a circuit preacher sort of thing. But he, his ability to, to take his education and, and uh, get opportunities for himself was... Uh, kind of a family inspiration and teaching others within through the church along with my uh well later my my uh, grandfather and reverend kelly's son john h kelly the two of them were major uh teachers of black people in columbia Right. The story can't be overstated. We, we've actually spent a little time on a couple of different episodes of History's Hook on Edmund Kelly, uh, an incredibly okay. important character in Murray County's history uh, and really mm-hmm. and, and, and beyond. So you, you're, you're saying that Edmund Kelly really is kind of responsible for starting education within your family, that this theme that I'm, I'm trying to explore today, this idea that education is so strong, such a strong motivating factor within at least four generations of your family, really starts with this man, maybe Edmund Kelly, who, who is also an enslaved man here, manages to educate himself to, to a certain degree, uh, and is a gifted preacher. And uh, Joanne, you can jump in here as well. He, he winds up getting an opportunity to go north and becomes a preacher there. And if you'll continue the story, Joanne. <laughs> Certainly. But let me mention to uh, Lyman first is that uh, we recently submitted an application to get a Tennessee historical marker for Edmund Kelly. And it's going to be placed. Oh, it's going to be placed out mm-hmm. at Mount Lebanon. The application went in a few few days ago, actually. And so we should have a decision from the state uh, in uh November or December, but we're really excited about that. But, you know, I have studied Edmund extensively, and he is an inspiration. I, um, from the fact that, uh, you know, he was, he was enslaved, he, he actually paid uh, young boys to teach him to read and write. Uh, he became the first ordained evangelist in the state of Tennessee. And then he traveled es- establishing schools, even in Tennessee. He established one in Spring Hill. And then he established all of those churches or co-founded all those churches, um, about six or eight of them on the on the East Coast up in the Massachusetts area. And what I think is most exciting about Edmund is that he, um, during the Civil War, or right before the Civil War, when uh, Lincoln issued that call to arms, he encouraged former slaves to join the colored troops. And his son, your cousin, also was a member of the 54th United States uh, Colored Troops of Massachusetts. So, I mean, he is an inspirational person. And uh, I tell you what, I think everyone should learn the story of Edmund Kelly because, you know, um, he came from so little and he accomplished so much and he contributed it so much to uh, the African Americans of not only of Murray County but of the of the country. Uh, the most amazing part of the story for me is that after going to the Northeast, he comes back here 
to to educate here in in Tennessee, and so that's yeah. sort of where. He, so he he marries, uh, and and that's how he's sort of connected with your family. Let's talk about Dyer Johnson for a moment. That's your okay. great grandfather. What can you tell us about him? Well, he's a carpenter who was able to. Uh now, his owner allowed him to work in the community, and so he was hired out as carpenter, so he was able to, and he was allowed to keep some of his earnings. Right. So he used that after collecting for a while those earnings to buy himself from his owner in about 1849, I believe. So, and he was married to Evan Kelly's sister. Right. Uh, well, but now he wanted to uh, get her. Also, he he uh, went to her owner, was a different different owner, and they wouldn't allow him to marry her and take her uh, unless he first bought property, and then second paid for her. So, and he was able to do that by 1852. I believe it was. So over the next two or three years of continued after after getting his own, I, I, I reluctantly say by his freedom, he actually didn't. He bought himself. Right. So he he was still, by the laws, he was still property. So he just was his own owner. Right. He did uh, it through freedom. a little bit of trickery. Freedom. And I, I love I love the yeah, story. Oh, it's a it's a, a oh, wonderful yeah, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's it's told in my father in the book of uh, the rest of the uh, dream, my father's uh, story. He went to his owner and and said, uh, "There's a guy across town that wants to uh, buy me. How much would that be?" As well, I think it was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars, something like that. If you if you get that, then we will uh, that that'll be fine. If if he pays that, uh, then you'll be his. <laughs> So after he got there, uh, and he saved his money, and uh, and no banks uh, and, and slaves and blacks couldn't couldn't. Uh, I mean, it was, it was it was even something that he even had some money. He was able to have have uh, right. money at all. So he had money around various places around his uh, uh, place where he stayed. Then he, he went back to his owner and said, "Well, there's a guy across town who wants to buy me." Uh, and you said it would be so much. So uh, when when can we when can he do that deal? He said, "Well, send him over. In fact, you can you can go and and uh, be the intermediary." So he he comes up with the money and says, uh, "Fine. Here here is the fifteen hundred dollars or thirteen. I think it's thirteen fourteen or something like that." Um, and he said, "Fine, go on." But he wants a he wants a, a deed, a, a bill of sale. So uh, my my grandfather, grandfather said, "She said, well, who should I make this out to?" And she and he, he gave his own name, Tyre Johnson. So he says, uh, and he looks up, "What? Yeah, I'm buying I'm buying myself." He said, "Well, I said I would sell, and uh, you got the money. It's all here, and I will." I will write this deed up to to you, and uh, that that is in that bill of sale is in the, the family uh, archives. Is it really? And, and also, also the one for uh, when he bought his wife. And again, I, I'll go back a, a few years later, and so we have that one. And one of the interesting things when when I when I saw it was at the bottom, and it's written, it's signed, and there's a little uh, hand drawn 
circle, like a cloud, a little wavy circle, mm-hmm. and inside is written seal, <laughs> C-A-L. <laughs> uh, that, that was pretty funny. I saw that. One of the interesting things, and again, I'll go back to why uh, uh, he said what well, he bought. They bought it of freedom. Technically, they bought property. So my my great grandfather was his own owner or master. And when he bought his wife, she was still a slave. Right. She, it was just that she was owned by her husband. I, it, one of the interesting things for me was uh, I've been uh, in and out of Salt Lake City. And I go to the family history library that the, the ODS has there. This is mm-hmm. the largest, uh, the greatest and most extensive uh, collections of family history that anybody has, the, the Mormons. So I've been there maybe four or five times now. And one of the times that I visited there and looked, looked this up, and all they, they're, they're well-funded, well-run, uh, I've gotten to see how, how LDS people do things here, and they're, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty thorough. Well, they have lot, lots of help, um, volunteers who help in the library. So I was telling him what I was trying to do, uh, and just, he, he made, gave me some suggestions of what to look up and to, to find people. And one of the things I was able to find was a document of owners for, for the county. So my great-grandfather is listed, even though they, they, they have a column for race, even on that. And he's listed as uh, M-U-L, M. Mulatto, right. for, for my great-grandfather, listed with all these white owners and, uh, and, and his wife, is listed as a slave, and so, so it, it's an amazing she, she, story. So, so uh, you know, I, 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 wait, wait, wait. What's amazing? We talk about free, free, uh, free slaves, uh, former slaves in the South, and and technically it, the process of freedom is uh, called manumission, and it's a more political process. And you have to go through all that. Technically, in terms of actual freedom, yes, they were they were they were not enslaved. In, in the sense that they were owned uh, and and had to work uh, without pay, but so they were free of of that sort of slavery. Right. But in terms of ownership and property and blacks not being cons- still considered uh, property and slaves in the technical sense, there in the 1850s before Civil War and post Civil War civil rights. Uh, what the laws and 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 Lincoln's uh, uh, Emancipation Proclamation? They were they were not really free blacks in the South, but they they were uh, they were technically still property. I see. It, it's interesting the it's caveat. Just a, it's just a, in in that in that particular case, the ownership was in, within the family. Right. Right. By by, by legal by legal terms. The the caveat that Dyer ha- had to follow to purchase property uh, to bring his wife into a home uh, is yes. an interesting one. That property yes. still exists today. Yes, correct. Uh, and, and in fact, the cabin, uh, a house was built basically around it, the, the original cabin that he built, uh, and that's within the family. That's owned within the family. To still today. Day. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And that's a, that's a cabin that your uh, grandfather lived in and grew up in and if i remember correct. correctly that's a cabin that your father was born in and grew up in as well yes 
So it's been directly. Well, by then they required a propaganda door. Uh, this is 10, 18 and 1020 Maple Ash Avenue, those two properties. Right. Uh, my father actually grew, grew up in the, in the, in that, in that area. And then I think in the uh, next door, I forget which is which. Right. But yeah, on, on those two properties is where, is where my father, my great grandfather, Owned and and the the original church was 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 in there, the original Mount Lebanon church. Right. In fact, uh, Edmund Kelly was the first preacher. My father, my great uh, Dyer Johnson, provided funds for the for the first church and the building. It's an amazing story. Was, We're going to continue this in just a moment. Let's take our first break, and we'll be right back on History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today, we're having a conversation with Lyman M. Johnson, who comes from a rather illustrious Murray County family. Uh, who can trace their? Uh, he can trace his family back uh, at least four generations, probably much farther, uh, with an, an amazing American story, really centered around education uh, and teaching. Mr. Johnson, I wanted to spend a little time on Robert G. Johnson. That would be your grandfather, uh, the son of Correct. Dyer Johnson. Mm-hmm. According to your father, in uh, a book that you mentioned called "The Rest of the Dream: The Black Odyssey of Lyman Johnson." He mentions that his mother and father, his father being Robert G., but his mother and father were two of the most educated people in Columbia, Tennessee, black or white. Tell us a little bit about Robert G. Johnson. Well, he he and his brother, he was born in 1860. His brother, 1863, I believe. Um, uh, That would be John William, whom we call Uncle Will. Or Will. Uh, He went by Will. He, um, we went to... Roger Williams University. Uh, well, first of all, he he grew up. Uh, he and his brother grew up again. They they were born just before the the Civil War, but they were they were born of parents who uh, were, as I said, basically had bought them, had gotten themselves out of of slavery. So he was born so-called free. Again, he was technically a slave owned by his father. Right. Uh, but anyway, uh, in, in the 60s, it gives you a few years before the Civil War, right. and then the Civil War was going on, and they were doing some kind of underground teaching out of the church, and then they were able to uh, get themselves to the Baptist, American Baptist Home Mission Society, ABMS, got some schools going in the South after the war, and he went to Roger Williams University in uh, Nashville, both he and his brother. Remind our uh, listeners, uh, how was Roger Williams University founded? Okay, um, again, American Baptist Home Mission Society, which was the Baptist version of, uh, of, of some of the northern, white, mostly religious organizations that founded schools in the South. The other one, another one was the AMA, I think the at Congregational School. Fisk in Nashville was founded by Congregationalists. Roger Williams in Nashville was founded by Baptists. Roger Williams, of course, was the the great Baptist from Rhode Island. 
right. and, and uh, uh, Brown University in Providence. Well, well, Rhode Island itself was, was the major colonist, early colonist was Roger Williams. Right. And the school in the South that was found by the, the Northern Baptists who, who uh, founded schools for, for uh, freedmen or freed people and former slaves was Roger Williams. As I said, Fisk was Congregationalist and Roger Williams was Baptist. Right. And, uh, and of course, the church in Columbia was, was Baptist, Missionary Baptist Church, Mount Lebanon. So they had a connection with the Baptists. And, and, and Nashville is about 40 miles away. So uh, they got to Nashville and got to school in the 1880s, early 1880s. Both of them, one first, first my grandfather, R.G. The first, there are now as many as four, so I know of a <laughs> Robert oh Graves, the fourth. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, the first went, uh, went, and then his brother came along later. And there's a great story about him showing up with a sorghum crop, or saying that's all I've got. <laughs> right, it's a it's a wonderful story about John. So uh, yeah. R R G yeah. Robert G's brother John, yeah. uh, according to your yeah, father, was the was the hardest working man in in the family. Slight yeah. of stature, but had an incredible uh, ability to to work. had a, had an incredible work ethic, uh, but also yeah. yearned to be educated. So money being scarce in those days, he he worked incredibly hard and was able to make and keep a portion of his work in the form of molasses. Uh, and, yeah. and according to the story, uh, at least in part, paid for his education, his college education, with molasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But he was brave enough to, if the story, if I remember the story correctly, he was brave enough to go to the college president uh, at Roger Williams and, and tell him that, that I don't have money, uh, I'd like to come here, but this is this is what I have. And sort of taken by that story, he was admitted to, to the university. Pretty- and he, he, went, he got a master's degree there, uh, great in uh, all the... Greek, Hebrew, Latin, the ancient languages. Un- unbelievable. Uh, I read, I think it's in the rest of the dream, that he also went on to Brown University. Yes, and Columbia. He, he was so interested in, in tra- tracking uh, what this guy, what, what's called the Dunning School of uh, Historians, mm-hmm. who, had the, who had the glorious Old South uh, version mm. of history, and they were based out of Columbia. So he went over to New York while, while he was in Providence. He would go to New York, and, and he took some courses and, and wanted to just kind of keep up with uh, uh, Overt, uh, Bonnell, Phillips, and, and the others of the Dunning School. And then he eventually ended up coming back to uh, Roger Williams, and after they went through some transition, he ended up being the first African-American president of Roger Williams Correct. University. Yes. Yes. That's a wonderful story. And he taught at Morehouse College for a while before he went back to Columbia. Exactly, exactly. So, right. So, mm-hmm. he, here's he, a bit. He, he, left, he, left, he left Roger Williams and went to Morehouse. Okay. Roger Williams had folded up. It, 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 yeah. They had a couple of fires, mysterious. Uh, there was an area where near where uh, Vanderbilt is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went after two or three struggle, struggling uh uh, efforts they kind of combined and moved to Memphis with and combined with Lemoyne uh, right 
uh, college out there. Mm-hmm. But that was after your uncle had been president for a couple of oh, years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah. So it's am- there, amazing to me that he, he comes from sort of this agricultural background, get, gets some of the, the best education, really, that money can buy in the time period, becomes a college president. But then at the end of his life, he comes back to Columbia, Tennessee, and lives in the cabin next to his brother. Yes. A choice. Right, 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 right. A choice that, that he decided. Yeah, any the, any the idea? Place, of... the, that was the original, the original cabin. He, he lived in that one, and his brother lived next door. That's why I said 1020 and 1018 were the two properties. Is there any uh, sense as to why to he as to why he chose chose to move back home into that cabin? Um, well, he was, he was a lifelong bachelor, so and nobody knows all the story. There was one one thing I heard when I was young that there was there was somebody at one point that he was interested in marrying and something happened that didn't work out and so he just went on this kind of reclusive uh, thing for the rest of his life but he wasn't dedicated on- himself to to to, to it, it, it besides yet he, he had a brother with nine kids so <laughs> <laughs> he became he became uh so those were his children Basically, but but the other part of of, uh, John W. and one of the reasons why I admire him so is that he did come back. He was an entrepreneur. He purchased that huge building at the corner of uh, South Main and uh, South Main, right? (laughs) South Main and Eighth Street. He rented the he leased space in that building to both black and white merchants, and he owned that building probably. Well, I guess um, the family owned that building until the mid-70s yeah until the mid-70s and the other thing about J.H. Kelly and R.G. Johnson and J.W. Johnson they were so interested in making sure that the African-Americans here in Murray County also uh, were educated they started this um, something called the Murray County Colored Teachers Institute and every year, R.G. and John W. and J.H. would bring teachers in from all over Murray County to teach them to become teachers. And as mm-hmm. a result of that, they at the end of the session, they would uh, take this exam and they were certified by the county to become teachers. And these uh, men and women were teachers in the rural schools in Murray County. And to me, that was just really dedication to education and dedication to right. the community the rest of the African-Americans becoming educated. To me, that's, that's a great legacy. That's, that's part of what I alluded to earlier about the legacy of the importance of education in the family. It goes back, it goes back. If I may, I have a similar story about here, uh, at least not here, but where I grew up in Louisville. Uh, the, one of the oldest of uh, Robert G's, the first children, was uh, Cornelia, my father's older sister. She was about 15, 16 years older than he was, but she was the one in Louisville who got him here when he, when he uh, during the Depression, and he didn't have a place to go, and she said, just like my, my sister invited me to Philadelphia, uh, my big sister, well, his big sister said, come to Louisville, and we'll, we'll, we'll help you get, get situated. And this is in the throes of the Depression. Well, her husband was a librarian who in, 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 in uh, this would be Thomas Fountain Blue, Cornelia Blue and her husband, did something similar in the library system by running, uh, conducting 
a nationally recognized program to train so-called colored librarians around, and they came to Louisville to learn how to be better librarians. Uh, but they learned librarians, library, basically library science. So it was this kind of extension work uh, in librarianship that, you're, uh, that connects to this teacher uh, extension work in Murray County by J.H. Kelly, R.G. Johnson, and J.W. Johnson. Again, again, that's all in the family. Right. It's all, the, I, all in I the I DNA. Saw, what I saw going on, yeah. yeah. It's an amazing legacy that, that really can't be measured in terms of the impact that, that your family has had on, on generations of people being educated. Ro- Robert would be a school teacher for 20 years, a principal at College Hill School for 22 years. Uh, so uh, really kind of a pillar in the community, according to your father. In, in his memoir, he wrote about his father, Robert G., as being a well-respected man in the Columbia community. I'd like to transition now to your father, uh, who really okay. had a, a just a remarkable life. So as you mentioned, I think already, he was the eighth of nine children growing up here in Columbia. His, his parents uh, his father being educated, being the the principal of school. What was it like for him growing up in Columbia, Tennessee? Lyme, we're on Lyman Teft Johnson now, who is your father. What was it like for him growing up? Okay, he. I guess a, a, a critical shift that that occurred in, in the family. Again, the old ones were they were spread over twenty years, and they were they were gone. I've got like twenty twenty two or three first cousins. They're all over the place, but. Uh, he, um, his mother died when he was about 12. So it was 1906, and, well, we were talking 1915 or so, uh, 16, 17. So uh, things began, began to get a little tougher around the house. His father was getting old, older. His older brothers and sisters were gone. So he and Neil and Charles and Mary were the last four. Okay, his, he had one sister who was younger. And some a couple of the older sisters said there's no place for her, so they got her out of there. And, and so she, my father's youngest, only younger sibling, uh, was a sister that the older children took out of there in, uh, when, when their mother passed. So he did a lot of, uh, my father did a lot of the conducting things. He and, and his brother Neil who, who was the, the uh, I guess the patriarch of most of the people who are still in the Columbia area hmm. of the Neil Johnson. Uh, and then the, the other one was Charles, who died relatively young. He, as my father said, he had a weak heart. So by the time he was 18 or so, I think he died maybe before he was 20. I forget what year. So it was Neil, my father, and these two old men. It was tough. Oh, aging. Let's put it that way. And he did a lot of a lot of the uh, work around the family. In fact, uh, when he finished school, I guess you would call it a gap year. Now, <laughs> he. <laughs> Uh, first of all, can I graduate from high school in Columbia? The blacks could not graduate from uh, it, it, The school only went through 11th grade. Mm. 
So if you wanted to complete high school, you had to go somewhere else. Right. So he he attended College Hill School, which his his father taught at and was uh, the principal as well. But it only went to 11th grade. So if if you had an interest to go on to college, you were not prepared to be able to to get into a a regular form. Right. So uh, okay. For for instance, now we haven't said much about my mother, and I won't uh, since this is focused on the Johnson side. But my mother was a morel, and her father was even though the prominence of the Johnsons in the family. My father, my grand, my maternal grandfather was Albert Morell, who was, as they said, the colored letter carrier. He, he worked for the federal government. So technically, he was he was the richest colored person in the world because he was paid by the federal government regularly and actually did well. So he, and the school, of course, was, they got what they could so he's actually better paid than they were. And what he did for my mother was rather than wait till 11th grade, he just took her out of Columbia and she did all of high school at Tennessee State, the normal school. Right. And then she went to Tennessee State. So she went, she, she rather wait, go through 11th grade, she just went to high school in Nashville. Now my father went to the 11th grade and then he stayed around and helped and, and then he was able to get off to Knoxville College, the preparatory. Division, but he he was he was there another year after eleventh grade before he went to Knoxville. But then after he got to Knoxville, he stayed there for a year. But he did enough college work to get about a half year of college under his belt. Right. And then he went to another Baptist school in Virginia, uh, Richmond, Virginia, Virginia Union, another one of those American Baptist Home Mission Society (ABA) uh, HMS. Right. We need to break right here for just a moment and and take just another brief break, and then we're going to come back and talk more about his education. We'll be right back on History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we're having a conversation with Lyman M. Johnson talking about his amazing family who has had such an impact on uh, Murray County history and American history. We're in the midst of talking about his father, Lyman Teft Johnson. When we went to break, Mr. Johnson, uh, we were talking about your father uh, going to the 11th grade at College Hill, not quite ready to go to university. He attended Knoxville Academy, which is a preparatory school, and then was admitted to Virginia Union University in Richmond. What did he study there? Uh, ancient languages and history. Uh, again, he, 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 he uh, following the footstep, basically, of... Uh, Uncle Will, his Uncle Will, but he was interested in history in the sense that uh, uh, ancient history, and and he uh, in the languages of again, Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, biblical languages, and then learning, learning. But he was more interested in the history because you had to read the history in in those languages. Right. So they went hand in hand. Study, study history by studying languages and, and then doing the reading. So he, he did a lot of that. And I wanted to make one quick detour that, and you, because it, it was reminded to me when you uh, mentioned his name, Lyman Beecher Teff Johnson was his name. Right. Uh, he was born Lyman Beecher Teff Johnson. Okay. He was named for Lyman Beecher Teff, who was a teacher at Roger Williams 
of both my father, my uh, grandfather and his brother, uh, J.W. and R.G., studied under Lyman Beecher Taft right. uh, at Roger Williams. Lyman Beecher Taft is a New England, uh, a, a, a Rhode Island Baptist who went to Brown at a Doctor of Divinity from there and was a preacher and then spent 25, 30 years of his life teaching in the South. He, he, he uh, preaching, preaching and teaching. He had a, a DD degree. My grandfather named my father for him, uh, and that's why he got the name Lyman Beecher Taft. Now, Lyman Beecher Taft was named for Lyman Beecher, who was the patriarch of the Beecher family, with right. Harriet Beecher Stowe and Henry Ward Beecher. Right. So, but he was a Taft family. Now, what, what was, uh, this is what's amazing about Virginia Union. He left Roger Williams, and about the time that J.W. graduated in the, uh, 83, 84, 1883 or 84, so, and went to Virginia Union and founded there a school called Hartshorn Memorial College for women. And then, and, and it was based, he formed it on, on a template based, based on Wellesley, Wellesley College in Massachusetts for women. That older sister, that my father, who invited my father to Louisville, went there. So she, my aunt, Cornelia, actually went to Hortron Memorial College huh. in Richmond, Virginia, and they, it became part of Virginia Union, I think, in 1932. But there were separate boys and men and women when I talked together uh, there. Anyway, Virginia Union, and it was university from there because it had this, this college and it had a a seminary and an undergraduate school. So that's where my father studied and my aunt at this Horton, uh, uh, Memorial College conducted and led by this uh, this man for whom my father was right, named. Right. And then my father dropped the Beecher and just became Lyman Teff Johnson. Okay. Uh, I mean, he, he, technically, Beecher's part of his name. Huh. Um, anyway, he studied there and then when he finished 1929, 1930, his options were, as you put it me, I could, I could go to, he got into Yale to study divinity, or Michigan to study history. And he says, uh, I, I'm not going to be a preacher. <laughs> to Michigan. Religion is interesting. It's one of the, the things that I was fascinated with, how he spoke about religion. You yeah. may have to expound upon that a little bit more, but he, he was... Uh, I don't want to say wary of organized religion. He was obviously a very spiritual man, uh, but but regular religion. His thoughts on religion were a little were, <laughs> were a little little different. Yeah, if if you wouldn't mind, that would be great. Well, to this day, uh, I myself am a I've been a uh, Unitarian or Unitarian Universalist uh, now about forty years. I got that from my father. He was he was sort of a doubter. That's why I says well, he can't, even though he has all this Baptist tradition. And, and, and in Louisville, this is what, what happened. He had a lot of allies, that, the, the really progressive Catholics, the, the, some liberal Jews and, and Quakers. There were a couple in Kentucky and Unitarians. And Unitarians actually invited him to come. And he, he, he did a lot of things, uh, you know, teachers, Teachers Union, Americans for Democratic Action, and they were they were allies that he was able to make quite a bit of progress with by uh, uh, 
by working with. He, 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 he was one of the things about him was he was pretty shrewd and wise about forming alliances that were helpful. And he, he had quite a bit of vision about he, he, he never He didn't lose a lot of battles because he picked his battles. And he was, as I said, very shrewd and, and uh, careful. So and and and, and just, just wise. He didn't he didn't go flailing about at any issue. But anyway, and, and back to to religion. though, he he was he was a kind of a, uh, a questioner and doubter. And Unitarianism was something that put that was pretty well. But he he said, no, I can't. When he was invited to come over to the Unitarian Church, he said, no. I've, <laughs> I've already changed from being a Baptist to a Congregationalist because my wife was a Methodist. <laughs> she went to St. Paul's, St. Paul's in Columbia. So their, their, their compromise was to go to the Congregational Church. And he says, I'm not changing it again. Again, he was shrewd about picking, uh, uh, making certain choices. And, and besides, uh, going, going to the Unitarian, all, a church might, might, wouldn't have gone over so well. So I did that for him, I guess, <laughs> in the next generation. Right. So uh, he, uh, he served in the Navy during World War II. Correct. Remaining in the United States, the, and, the and, as as a what thirty thirty something thirty eight right. year old draftee. Right. <laughs> he figured he was targeted uh, <laughs> because he was with uh, several other people who were older. Some of them uh, teachers. And they wound up at Great Lakes uh, Naval uh, Base in, in uh, uh, well, near Chicago, I guess. And the commander there got, gathered all these educated black guys and, and, and kind of gave them leeway to, again, uh, to do what they wanted. I, I can't figure out what to do with you guys. <laughs> because they were more educated than most of their things. commanding so, officers. So, so they conducted, they, they, they said, look, we, we're teachers, a lot of us, uh, and you've got a lot of people here who can't read and write, basically. So, so let us teach, let us teach, uh, set up schools and, 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 and teach some of your more uh, less literate, drafty young ones, and, and we'll, we'll have them reading and writing in, in a matter of weeks. In just a few weeks. Uh, they and, built and, a whole curriculum and put yeah, these young sailors yeah. through this program, and in a matter of a few weeks they Correct. had any number of, a large number of young young men reading and writing by the time that they were Okay, yeah, there's that, that education thing <laughs> coming through again. That's right, yeah. that's right. Tell us about the University of Kentucky. I think this is uh, maybe one of the, his greatest well, I legacies. Was, I was I was four when when this was going on, and, and I, I didn't know a whole lot about what I could. I, I just I knew that something something kind of strange was going on. <laughs> there was a lot of activity and people in and out of the house and uh, phone calls, and I just I just kind of knew, kind of picked up somehow that some, something weird was going on. So it was all the planning, whatever. Because uh, uh, now later I, I'm able to put the story together because, it, because I, I talk with him, I learn uh, and combine it with what I saw going on. But he'd known he'd, he'd been involved with big uh, legal uh, cases going back to almost ten years, I guess, to to when he had his first big victory in 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 Kentucky of uh, a suit to gain equal pay and. You don't hear much about it, but women could not be married and teach, and women were paid less than men, even white. And so 
they had they had the they had the blessing and some kind of ally. I don't know how the suit went, but white women were involved in the case. Get equalization of pay when they were done with all the suits and everything. And this goes back to like 1939 or 40. Everybody was paid the same: white women, black women, black men. Hmm. Their salaries were all brought up to what white men were making in in the school system. And so that kind of either made him a hero or public enemy number one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Uh, going back. So he, he was a known troublemaker uh, <laughs> in those days. So in that, uh, something fast forward, he'd known people like Thurgood Marshall from the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And uh, they they had cases all, all around and they had, uh, during the, after after World War One, uh, World War War Two, especially, they, they were looking for a typical young traditional student to be involved in a test case and you know they they could they just couldn't come up with somebody who was willing or whatever after a few years of that they were like, why don't you go <laughs> uh it it's the especially graduate schools that that uh we don't have uh so he made himself uh, the test case plaintiff Again, just as a test, part of a test case, because he couldn't find anybody else to be a, a, a more traditional kind of student. So, uh, again, Thurgood Marshall was an in the, in national NAACP leader involved, and uh, uh, they signed up uh, all the historian. John Hope Franklin was prepared to testify as a uh, expert witness, pretty much as he did in the 54 case. But this was another one of the run-up cases to '54, 1949, and the the judge, the, the court thing didn't last long because uh, the, the case just kind of died on the case. They, they had no case basically because they had no graduate school for blacks in Kentucky. And he, as, as since he had a master's degree, the only thing he could apply for was to be in the doctoral program. Right. So. There was no no graduate school, so right away the thing collapsed. Kentucky State College for Negro, as they called it, uh, Kentucky State in Frankfurt, was only an undergraduate school, and even if it was separate, it, even if it wasn't equal, it didn't it didn't have graduate work. So there was just no case that there was separate but equal in the state of in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So uh, he won the case pretty easily. Uh, uh, John O'Franklin didn't even have to testify. It's amazing. Uh, Mark, yeah. your, your father is incredibly brave to, first of all, vo- volunteer to to do that and and sort of be that standard bearer. Uh, I get the sense from again from his memoirs that the strong you get a sense of that strong character uh, that he was. So he he applies to get into uh, the University of Kentucky. He's initially denied, but because of the law of the land at the time, that separate but equal facilities had to be in play. He wins the case because there is no separate but equal. There is no other university in the country that can provide the level of education that he was 
applying for and and wins the case. I hate to say so, but we're we're out of time uh, on this, which is which is the worst because uh, there's so, I know there's so much more to this story. We we may have to circle back and uh, do a part two because it's absolutely worthy of 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 fleshing this story out some more. It's incredible. Uh, I, I will mention uh, your father passed away in 1997. Is that correct? Seven. Correct. Uh, his mm-hmm. obituary was covered in the New York Times. Um, yes. Uh, it, it's an amazing and the story. Po- Washington Post, all over the country. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's an amazing story. Your family legacy is, is an incredible one. Uh, uh, it, we, we've all benefited from who, who your family uh, was and what they did in their lifetime. Um, I would encourage our listeners, if you want to know more about the story, uh, the book, The Rest of the Dream, The Black Odyssey of Lyman Johnson is available, uh, written by the author Wade Hall, uh, and gives a, a wonderful overview in the life of, of Lyman T. Johnson. Um, Mr. Johnson, thank you for spending time with us this morning. We appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. I'm going to end the show today with this quote from Lyman T. Johnson. He wrote, My grandparents represent the last stages of slavery. My parents represent the period from the Civil War to around 1920. My brothers and sisters and I represent the period from about 1910 down to the present. Our children and our grandchildren are now taking up the new opportunities, as well as the old burdens of our race. From my grandparents to my grandchildren, we have covered American black history. That concludes our show for today. Thank you to our sponsor, ServPro of Murray and Giles County, for their support. On behalf of my co-host, Joanne McClellan, thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of History's Hook. Thank you for listening to History's Hook with Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. right here on WKRM 103.7 FM for a journey through time. Today's edition of History's Hook was sponsored by ServPro of Murray and Giles County. ServPro, faster to any disaster.